Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 45 of Her Story. This is your host, Cassidy Reed, and today my guest is Carol Yonch. Carol is the principal tubist of the Philadelphia Orchestra. She is also a soloist, a teacher, an advocate for music education, and a member slash arranger of tuba cover band Tubular. In this episode, Carol and I discuss her life and career, making life decisions, advocating for music education, representation, isolation, the importance of therapy, that's an important theme of this episode, and fulfillment. So I'm so excited for you to listen to this episode. Please make sure you like it and share it with your friends. If you could also make sure you're subscribing to our episodes on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen to our show, and make sure you're also giving us a rating as well. That would be super helpful. Also, make sure you're following us on all of our social media accounts, and you're also checking out our website. Our website is linked in all of our bios, so please make sure that you're checking that out. If you're interested in being a guest on the show, we would love to have you. You could please send your bio to musicherstorypod at gmail.com and we will get back to you as soon as possible and by we i mean me because i do this all alone so woohoo all right i will see you next monday My name is Carol Yanch, uh, principal tuba of the Philadelphia Orchestra. I do other stuff too, I guess. I'm on faculty at Yale School of Music, band leader of Tubular, my tuba cover band. I founded a nonprofit called Tubas for Good, and yeah, and soon to be podcast host. Woohoo! Yay! I'm so happy <laughs> you're here. This is going to be so awesome. So, Carol, what got you started in music in the first place? All right, Cassidy. My mom forced me into music from a young age. <laughs> so yeah, like my, my parents actually met um, in the Cleveland Orchestra Chorus. Um, my dad uh, is a doctor and he was like in residency or internship, whatever part of, I never remember what, <laughs> what the chronology is there, but uh, they were both in Cleveland. My mom uh, was a, a singer and a voice teacher and so like that's where they met and so they had me and my brother uh my brother first and they like um so my dad financed all the music lessons and my mom uh, pushed it yeah so like i was in piano lessons when i was six and when my brother was 11 and i was nine we started going to interlock and arts camp in the summers um so i went for a full two months when i was nine years old and that was really cool because I got to do all kinds of artsy stuff and mm-hmm. uh, like, you know, hang out in the woods for a summer, make new friends. But um, that was also the summer that I took a class called Instrument Exploration. So the first half of the summer, you met all the instruments, basically. And then the second half, you picked one and learned it. So I like I was attracted to the big, weird instruments. Um, <laughs> I liked the harp, but when I was nine years old, I didn't want to have to cut my fingernails. So that was out. Um, I liked percussion a lot, but um, I would have done a mallet instrument, which was like too similar to piano for me. I wanted something Mm -hmm. different. Mm -hmm. Um, And so then euphonium was like, uh, what's that? That's weird. Um, And I would have been the only one 
playing it. And so that, that appealed to me, having my own thing. Uh, so I played Euphonium. Um, and that was like right before we started um, band class in my public school. So I uh, had a little head start there. Yeah, I was going to say, that's really cool that they have that program at Interlock. And I wasn't aware that that was a thing. That's super cool. Wow. Right. So you yeah. chose your instrument the summer before you would have had to technically choose your instrument in public school, basically. That's right. Yeah. Cool. That's so cool. I, I think for me, when I was choosing my instrument, we had to like take our like top three, like preference wise. And my first one was trumpet. Duh, duh. My second one was, I think, saxophone. Oh, man. <laughs> wow. Okay. And then my third one was percussion because like every kid wants to play percussion because they just want to whack stuff. Like that's like... <laughs> now that's awesome man that's like literally like i want to play the drums drums are cool i'm like yeah and then you have to learn a mallet instrument and they're like oh <laughs> like yeah percussion's hard <laughs> but yeah so i had that and then i remember i went in to like try the instruments and my um fourth grade band director had me try saxophone first because he had like no saxophones and a bajillion trumpets. Cause you know, that's how beginning band is. There's always like 18 bajillion trumpets. And I tried playing saxophone and out of all the beginning instruments, saxophone is the easiest to get a sound out on. And I could not get a sound out on it. <laughs> I was totally a brass player. I could not. Nope. Even when I was in college and I had to take woodwinds methods, I stunk at like all of them. I had to work my booty off to get good at any of them. I cannot so, yeah. make a sound on the flute for the life of me. Oh yeah. No, I struggled so much with that too. I, I don't know. But then he was like, okay, well, I guess you could try trumpet. I was like really good at it. Like I got a good sound and everything. He's like, okay, I guess that's your instrument. And I was like, thank God. It's fate. It's fate. Yes. So that's really awesome. So when did you transition to tuba? My family actually moved in the middle of my seventh grade year, which, you know, parents out there don't do that to your kids. That sucks. It's moving during spring break. So it, like at my old middle school, I was already kind of like, there was a tuba like in the band room, um, but it like smelled really bad. It like reeked of, it was like inhaling valve oil. And I, I remember it just being unpleasant because of that, but I would play it occasionally because there wasn't a tuba player mm -hmm. in that band. And then I moved to the new place and they're like, well, we've got like a couple of each. So like kind of pick. And I was like, I guess the bigger one. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> sure, why not? So yeah, that, that was kind of it, but I was really lucky. My, I don't know how my mom had this connection. It was probably maybe, yeah, my mom. So she went back to school when I was in school. Like when I was in grade school, she was getting her master's degree mm -hmm. in voice. And then when I was in middle school, high school, she went back to school for her doctorate. So that was, we were living in Columbus, Ohio at that point, And that was at Ohio state. And maybe that's how she met. Jim Akins was my like first tuba teacher. He's uh, uh, Columbus Symphony and Ohio State tuba mm -hmm. teacher. And so like he only takes one high school student at a time. And I just lucked out that when I was in eighth grade, he like bent his rule for me. Um, so like I got to study with him. So like that was like a really sweet hookup that like I feel really privileged to have had. Yeah, I'm sure he doesn't regret that now. <laughs> <laughs> that was awesome. So. I have to ask just, you know, both being women and brass players and in instruments that are male dominated and you even more so than me, did you have that perception of, Hey, like there's a lot of guys that play my instrument. I'm kind of an only, 
Did you have that perception from a young age or did that come later in life? Because I feel like for some people it's different. Yeah, I mean, like in middle school, it was like me and one other kid, you know, Mm -hmm. and then like, I guess by high school, I did one honor band where they're like, there were like 10 of us and I might've been the only girl, but I was Mm -hmm. also like second chair out of 10 my freshman year. And I was like, uh, like, I don't know, no one ever, I I felt like uh, merit earned me like my spot there. Like, it was just like, I couldn't, I could hold my own playing. So like, I never, I never got any like messages overt or otherwise that I shouldn't be playing. So like, that's a good thing. And then by the time mm-hmm. I went to Interlochen again for high school, there's a year round school there as well. I just had a really supportive environment. Um, that's awesome. Like really cool kids in the low brass studio. So it was never really a thing. Yeah, no. And that's, that's great that you had that supportive environment. I think for me, like I didn't really think anything of it when I was younger. All my trumpet teachers were male all the way through. So I guess I was aware of that. I didn't really notice how how skewed it was until I was in high school and I started doing like all county and all state and honor bands and things like that. And I was like, wow, I'm like the only one here. Or there's like mm-hmm. me and one other woman here in this entire like 30 person section. Like what is going on? And I always felt kind of like a little sense of empowerment though. When I was like seated first chair and there was all these dudes going down the line, I was like, hmm. Well, yeah, I guess like similarly <laughs> my freshman year, like before I went to uh boarding school where there was no marching band my one year in marching band i was like one girl out of six sousaphone players and like i was also the strongest player so like i know part of me liked that like i had that i don't know i liked being unique i guess yeah yeah that's not a that's not a bad thing at all so i usually ask this question when we talk about things like mentorship and things like that in a lot of situations when you are a woman and you're playing a male-dominated instrument it's really hard to find a teacher that is the same gender identification as you so there's that but then there's also people that you can listen to or watch to that also identify the same way as we do. So did you have any women brass players that you listened to or or saw as a, you know, growing up as a kid that you, that motivated you or provided some sort of inspiration? Like, hey, that person looks like me. I can do this. For sure. Well, I mean, I don't look like her, but Velvet Brown is an amazing player. She, like, her, I feel like her debut CD came out, like, around the time I was in high school, Um, Mm -hmm. but it's just phenomenal playing. And like, she picks really great rap too, um, really interesting music. Um, So like that, that was amazing to have there. And, you know, cause I've thought a lot about this um, since then that like, that was never an overt thing. Like I didn't need to have, I didn't feel like I needed to have like a female role model to think that I could do what I wanted to do. But like, there had to have been something something subliminal about like seeing a woman just like like hanging with all the dudes and like playing as well if not better than most of them right um and like if she can do it i can do it like that it sends that message for sure even if it's not like yeah like super important to have someone break that for you yeah i mean if you don't see it you're not thinking that you're a failure but it is nice to see right actually the first time i met you which you probably don't remember me, but that's okay, (laughs) was Philly Orchestra has kind of a residency at the Lucerne Music Center during the summer. And I was there in the summer of 2014. I think it was like 
16. I don't remember. They very last minute needed a trumpet player and they were like, we'll take you in on full scholarship. Please come. And I was like, okay, cool. I'm coming. Cool. This is great. Um, and I was there and you actually did a masterclass. I think it was on breathing technique. And I remember, I want to say you were with like, I think it was a brass quintet. I don't remember. It was some sort of brass ensemble. And you walked on that stage and you were wearing your heels and you had it on your tuba belt. And I was like, that is a badass right there. I was like, yes, girl, work it. I was so excited. I was like, this is awesome. And you were the first woman tuba player that I saw live, hands down, for sure. And I mean, I grew up in the Buffalo area. That brass section is all male, pretty much. And then I went to my undergrad in Cleveland and men. Right. So it was really nice for me to see as a 16 year old. Now I didn't say, Oh, if there was all guys up there that I would think that, Oh, I couldn't do it. But yeah, it right. is really, even if they don't play the same instrument as you, it's so nice to see. Right. And that representation there. So let's talk a little bit about playing in the Philly orchestra because you won your job, your senior year, right. At university of Michigan. Yep. So what was that process like taking auditions and being not only a woman, tubist but also a young woman as well because there's also that ageist thing that kind of plays into things as well so what was that experience like for you taking that audition winning that job leaving school and coming back to school and that whole process yeah it was first of all it was awesome (laughs) yeah but uh yeah so like it obviously starts before that right so like Mm -hmm went to Interlochen for three years of high school and then went to University of Michigan. And like kind of during the time that I'm coming into my own as a player, there's just a whole slew of openings in the orchestral tuba world. So I actually had a decent amount of experience, like not actually playing an orchestra, but taking orchestra auditions. Like yeah. I sent in a lot of tapes that were rejected, a couple tapes that were accepted. Um, and I went to like a number of auditions too. And I was also on the like solo competition circuit. So really I just sort of applied for anything and everything that was available to me. So I got really used to like that cycle of like, you send in your resume, you probably get a rejection, but maybe you don't, or like, maybe you make a tape and all that stuff. Yeah. So like in terms of like the female aspect probably the most striking one was um the milwaukee audition in 2005. Mm -hmm. um there was a what we call a cattle call which is a fun name for (laughs) for these things but um yeah basically they didn't reject any resumes um yeah everybody comes in yep so they got 76 tuba players they listened to they did the entire audition in one day which is insane to me having been on a panel of auditions uh, a number of yeah. times at this point. Um, they split up prelims into two rooms to in order to make that happen. But yeah, I played like my prelim in the morning and semis and finals later that night. Um, but yeah, I mean like 76 people, I was the only woman there. Um, and I was, mm-hmm. yeah, I was 20 and I was runner up. So that was cool. Um, but that like, I also remember being in the finals for that one being like, I don't, I kind of want my senior year. I don't know if I want to leave school yet. <laughs> I'm not ready to be an adult yet. What is this? Absolutely not. <laughs> um, so yeah. And it was, let me remember the order of all this, but like I had sent my resume off 
to uh, Philadelphia when they had their original opening. And I think their first audition was in March of 05. Mm -hmm. Um, But my resume was rejected. They got like 200 resumes. So like, of course, my resume that was like, Carol's a senior or junior in college, right? Yeah. Um, Doesn't get accepted. Like, of course not, right? But they ended up not hiring that first round of auditions. And then they were like, okay, well, we had a lot of people who weren't able to come. So let's have another round of auditions for people who just weren't at that first one. Um, And so I actually got invited to that weird round of auditions because I sent a festival tape. And I feel like I'm telling the story in the wrong way. I like to tell the story like I didn't get into Tanglewood. I really wanted to go to Tanglewood, Summer of 05. Mike, I'll never forgive you. Um, <laughs> um, but no, I. Uh, it turned out okay for me because like, because I didn't get into Tanglewood, I applied uh, for this uh, late application for a brass week in Maine called Bar Harbor Brass Week. And so I mm-hmm. sent, like I threw together a tape real quickly of like stuff that I had done recently and including the Catch Turin Violin Concerto first movement from my like last recital. Mm-hmm. Um, and Blair Bollinger, my, my bass trombone colleague in Philly is the one who listened to tapes for that festival. And so like, um, like I actually got a call from Blair Bollinger saying like, hello, this is Blair Bollinger. We would like you to come to Bar Harbor. <laughs> and we also want you to audition. And that, that was like, it, it was insane. Uh, yeah. So I like, I, I took that audition and because I advanced, I got onto the sub list because Paul Kurzwicki, my predecessor, had already retired. So I got to sub with the orchestra in the fall of 05, which meant I get got to skip school for three weeks in a row. Um, and like, yeah, play with the Philadelphia Orchestra. I actually had to drive I mean, back. <laughs> I had to drive 10 hours each way back to Ann Arbor um, for a symphony band concert and oh, then God. drive back to Philly for the next week. Um, but that's like how it worked out. Um, yeah. And then like, I got some good feedback while I was there and they're like, okay, so we're having this third round of auditions. Uh, we want you to come and we like what you're doing. Just do it louder. And so you better believe that I, uh, I learned how to play loud. At the Brought end of all that the semester. juice with you. Yes. Um, <laughs> but that like, uh, they also asked me to play sub with them the entire month of February um, leading up to that audition. And uh, the first week of February was Bruckner 7 with Simon Rattle. Um, And there was some other substantial rep there too. And so like, that's where like the ageism thing comes in that like, like had they, you know, it's one thing to hire a female player, but then like hire a super young female player who has like basically no orchestral experience, but like, they heard me in the orchestra fitting in well. So like that sort of solves that. Yeah. You were a very clear choice then, you know, I think that's, that's really beneficial that you had that experience too. And, and it goes to show you that like with the Tanglewood experience you had, just because your plan A doesn't work out does not mean that plan B is going to be this like magical experiences that's going to connect you to somebody else and connect you to something else. And then boom, there's a job right at the end of the tunnel. Right. Like um, just because that one thing, doesn't work out doesn't mean that there's there isn't ample opportunities elsewhere no that's that's excellent advice for any young person out there like 
you know, and it's easy to get your heart set on something that you really want. But like, if that doesn't pan out, then like, uh, you know, you can mourn it for a while, but like, get creative. And what's what's the next thing? Um, Yeah, because plan B can be pretty sweet. (laughs) Take it from me. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. A couple of things I want to talk about just, you know, being a woman brass player. And, you know, we have to experience things that our male counterparts don't necessarily have to experience. So couple of topics I want to talk about. First one is this idea of concert dress. One thing that strikes me about you and the way you choose to dress is you always wear these, like, not always, but a lot of times when you're photographed or you're playing with a brass group or something like that, you're wearing, like, heels, girl. Like, you are rocking <laughs> long heels. And I remember when I saw you when I was in high school, I was like, how in the heck is she walking in these, first of all? Because I would just be, like, clomping on there and probably falling <laughs> over on my face. Like, I was the chick that, like, my senior recital, I purposely wore, um, I wore, like, a, or what are those called? It's, it was one of those, like, um, it was, like, a flowy thing that kind of looked like a dress, but it was actually pants. It's like, you put orthopedic like, clogs or something. Well, actually, <laughs> so I started off in shoes with heels and then I started to get a little nervous and I was like, I'm going to fall. So I actually, <laughs> this, 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 uh, like pantsuit thing was so long that it covered my feet. So, um, don't tell my teacher this, but <laughs> I played my senior recital barefoot. Nobody noticed. Nice. Uh, <laughs> but so like for you, obviously that makes a statement of, female empowerment in general anyway, whether you want that intentionally to do that or not, I think it does in general. It it makes you look badass as an image anyway. But for you and concert dress, do you feel like there, have you ever had a moment in, you know, your career when you were a student where you had an issue with concert dress or someone who made comments about something you were wearing or things like that? Yeah, it's an interesting topic. And it's one I've not like spoken directly about before. So it's interesting. Um, Yeah, I have some sad news for you. um, (laughs) Is that like, in terms of me wearing heels, like, yeah, I I developed bunions. So (laughs) like, it hurts like hell now to wear heels at all. Um, So yay, getting older. Um, I don't know. I we'll see about wearing them performances, but I mean, it also does change your posture, which I'm like noticing more and more as I get more, you know, retentive about like, you know, shoring up every like bit of control in my breathing technique. Mm -hmm. So uh, like I, whatever I wear, I try to make sure that I'm practicing in exactly what I'm going to wear right, like directly beforehand. So that, cause I've, I've messed up in that area before where I like, Oh, cool. I can't really breathe in this dress. So like yeah. <laughs> that would have been good to know before the performance. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, everybody make sure like you're not inhibiting yourself with what you wear. Um, cause I've done so and I feel really dumb, <laughs> but like, I, like I'm, I'm of two minds about it. Like for me, like it's, it's, you know, in the orchestra, I'm obviously not wearing like crazy gowns or whatever. I just wear like regular concert black whatever um but like when i play concertos i think like there's you make a statement with how you present yourself right and um sometimes i have to joke that like if i go out there i'm wearing like gown heels uh like standing with my belt Uh, i've got it memorized like i just walk out there and that's all they see 
like uh, people ooh and ah already because they're like that girl is holding that big thing in her heels and like and then i i sort of feel like i could play however i want because they're already impressed you know they're already amazed whoa <laughs> women so, can hold big objects what crazy um <laughs> but like but for real like i don't know i i just think i i, I like to like entertain people i guess like i guess i'm a mm -hmm show person uh how do we reclaim that word showman show <laughs> show woman uh whatever sure. <laughs> i'm works. a show person and yeah i like to put on a good show so i think it looks better to stand i think like i play better standing i play better memorized for sure um and so like the fact that like the audience gets to sort of connect with you differently is cool. And so like, you're there to impress people with everything. On the other hand, however, I do resent the fact that like, we'll get like, big name artists in who are dudes and like, they don't even brush their hair every night. And it like, that sucks that like, that's so true. And that's totally fine. And like, these are amazing players. And like, yes, they sound incredible. But like, and I even have it in me where I'm just like, like that would never fly for a woman. And I wouldn't even want to do that myself, you know, like, mm -hmm. like I care about how I present myself, but why do I have to put in all this extra work? Like I have to like, not only do I have to like, you know, make sure I fit into my dress for weeks beforehand, but then also like do the makeup and all that. Like I have mm -hmm. enough to worry about it. Cause I'm like about to play a concerto. Yeah. So yeah. it's, so I don't know. I it'll be interesting to see where that goes over time. Yeah. I, I just like I don't want to be. I also don't want to be like reduced to like oh she looks pretty in a dress and that's all that matters. So, like I, you know, and maybe that's partly my fault for doing it. I don't. I don't know. I don't know. I understand what you're saying though. It's kind of like a double-edged sword with that. Like it's like, yes, I am a woman and I'm doing these awesome things. But then there's the other side of the sort of, are they just going to view me as, oh, this is this chick with the tuba. Cool. We don't really care how she plays, but I don't know. I, I'd like to think that maybe this is me being an optimist, which I'm never an optimist. I'm a realist, <laughs> but if, in an optimist light, I do think that there is something to say for that. And I think you know, we have so many women brass groups like Serif Brass and things like that, that they they dress like that all the time. And they're making in that way, they are making a statement. Right. So I don't know. I think it's cool. I don't know. Maybe that's just me. <laughs> At one point, you're just like, you know what? I like to play dress up and like this is my moment to do me. So like, yeah. And it's professional. This. Like you said, like you're number. carrying yourself in a professional manner. Like, hey, you know what? I tried to look good for all of you because I care about what I do and I'm trying to put forth my best self. Um, so, yeah, I think just these men that don't really care about their appearance, you just catch up. That's all it is. <laughs> so um, not only do you play in Philly, but you also teach at Yale and at Temple. Um, so can you talk a little bit about your philosophy, not just as like a professional musician, but also as a teacher that is, you know, shaping the young tuba minds of future generations and all that good kumbaya stuff? Sure. Yeah, I, I don't actually have any students at Temple at the moment, but I'm still technically on the roster. Um, <laughs> so yeah, Yale is my gig. I love teaching there. And, uh, you know, I get such wonderful students that they really make the the commute worthwhile in normal times it's like 
four hours door to door to get there. Um, this year it's all on Zoom, yay. Um, yay. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, like teaching was really huge for my development. Um, you know, it's a weird thing to win a job early. And I don't know if people uh, talk enough about how jarring that is, um, like personally and socially and all these things, like, you know, making the transition from being at a large university where there were tens of thousands of people in my same life stage who I could like potentially be friends with to like yeah. a new city with completely new people and like in a group of a hundred where like I'm the youngest and like have very little in common with anyone. Well, yeah, most of them are old enough to be your parents at least. Or they right? have kids in their own lives and like, yeah. they're you know, like, uh, stuff to do so like uh, you know finding friends in a new city as a 21 year old is like crazy and then then there's a larger question like which i find a lot of people i know who like land a big job have this sense of like after you've been in it for a little bit you're like well what now because like yeah. our whole I feel like our whole music educational complex, like built around the performance side anyway, is designed to like instill in you this sense of like, when I get my dream job, everything will be have happily ever after. Like I'll have made it and I'll be happy and that'll be it. I can stop like sacrificing my everything and like spending all of my time and energy getting better. And then I can just like, be happy and write it out. But like you hit that when you're 21 and you're like, well, <laughs> well but like I'm used to doing so much I stuff. Peaked. And now I just like, <laughs> now I just play like a couple notes in the orchestra every week. And like, that's, yeah. it's not enough to fulfill me necessarily, even though it's like an amazing job and like, uh, you know, couldn't have asked for a better place to work these past holy crap, 15 years. Um, so is this my 15th year? Yeah. Yeah. It'll be. Wow. 15. That's um, awesome. But it's, it's not even just that it's like, we've been trained from such a young age to keep pushing ourselves further and further and further and go harder and harder and harder. Where's the next thing? What's the next thing? Okay. You got this. Now you got to go here. And so then I feel like a lot of people, when they get that job, they're like, okay, what's next? We still have that mentality of, okay, where do I have to go beyond here? Even if it's like the job, right? For sure. And that's like, and I have really mixed feelings about it because obviously it's that kind of mindset that makes you competitive and gets you good. But it's also yeah. like one that I've talked with my therapist a lot about because yes. like it, it can be also toxic. makes you really unhappy. I know mm -hmm. a lot of incredible musicians who are just very unhappy with their lives because like they have that, like that inner critic who's so harsh and and doesn't even like sometimes sometimes doesn't even necessarily stop in the realm of music right that like not only do they judge themselves in like in how they're playing but it's also like they apply that critic to other parts of their lives and like nothing is ever good enough and it's not healthy so like i, I don't know i like 
it's hard because you want your students to be competitive, but you also want them to be just like fully fleshed out human beings who are capable of happiness when they grow up. Yeah. So like, <laughs> that'd be good. That'd be nice. So I don't know what, like, um, a friend of mine has said, like, they should require therapy in school, like that, like, cognitive behavioral therapy should be like given in music school. And I think that's a great idea. Um, and I feel like it, it actually has a lot of synergy with what we do in the practice room that like, yeah. sometimes I think of therapy a lot as like private lessons and being better at being myself. Yeah. Right. Like being a better person, being better to myself, being better to other people. Like it's, it's great. And like, when you're a musician, you have to manage much of yourself, like you're managing like, what you practice, how you practice. And when you get out of school, you don't have someone telling you what to do every week anymore. Mm -hmm. So it's just you and it takes an enormous amount of effort. So like, you're managing just like everything you're doing and your own mental state right? Because like mental state is a huge aspect of performance. And if you can't get that under control, and it doesn't mean that it doesn't matter how much you practice of the other stuff, because if you're just like, freaking out, like your preparation could just like, go up in flames. Yeah. Yeah. So I, like, yeah, the wellness, wellness stuff, I would like to see more of. Um, but a lot of schools like for you kids out there, uh, a lot of schools offer um, elective therapy or like at least give you some like a, a stipend or a discount or something like have just like health services. Um, mm -hmm. And I would encourage you to check even if you don't feel like you're, you're like doing poorly that just like, you know, just check in and see if there are ways you could treat yourself better because you might not know of things that you're doing that are holding yourself back until they like really bite you. Yeah. And I, I mean, I, at least as far as my undergrad university went, um, you know, we have to pay health fees like every semester. Right. And I think part of that was included, like at least counseling, right. For someone yeah. to talk to. Um, and that's one of the things that I wish I took advantage of in my time there, because I feel like there's always a stigma about, around mental health. And I think the problem with that and when you're also a student and you're also a music student and you have that competitive edge, like all the time, you're always thinking about, I got to get into this festival. I got to get into this graduate school. I got to seat this chair and this ensemble and things like that. You kind of like push aside any sort of mental health issues you have or, mm -hmm. you know, you, and you don't um, deal with your stress in a healthy way. You know, like I, I, I always found myself like I wasn't eating until like 10 p.m. And I was like, oh, wait, I forgot to eat today. Oops. Or yes. something like that, because I was in rehearsal until 10 p.m. Or, you know, am I drinking enough water? Probably not. Am I sleeping enough? Probably not. Um, it's, it's things like that. And it's also that stigma around mental health of, oh, I don't want to ask for help. I don't need help. I need to focus on what I'm doing right now. I don't need this right now. And that's one of the things that I regret about not taking advantage of my undergrad is that that was there, that resource was there for me and that now I'm an adult and I have to pay <laughs> for right. therapy. You know, that yeah. would've been nice to have as a student for sure. So yeah, yeah, anybody who's listening right now who is a student, you should definitely take advantage of that for sure. Absolutely. And like, 
I couldn't agree more. Like, it really sucks that there's still that negative connotation around therapy because, mm-hmm. like, the world would be a nicer place if we all just figured our stuff out on our own before we interacted with other people. We'd just be, like, kinder beings. And, like, and there's nothing, like, therapy is not just for crazy people. Or, mm-hmm. like, it's not for crazy people, period. So not the just. Uh, like, it's therapy is just how to be a better human. And like, I just feel like for musicians, we're just dealing with pressure all of the time, all the pressure that, that we put on ourselves to maximize what we're doing, all the pressure that we feel from outside about how, how we think others think we should be doing. Right. And like how well we're doing compared to other people, because it's very competitive. So like, our field just has innate pressure and like and you need to learn how to deal with that and like and that has nothing to do with like you know with like whether your mental health like i don't know what whatever stigma it is where you're just like i like you know i can handle my own stuff like sure you can but like you could probably do some stuff better Right. Like, like, yeah, you can play your scales, but like, you know, a good teacher will show you how to play them better. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. th- that's the whole thing. So like, if you really believe in that mindset of like, everything can always be better, like that includes do therapy. Yeah. Yeah. Woo. Everybody go to therapy. <laughs> Carol Yon said we had to go to therapy. So we're going to go to therapy now. <laughs> she said we're doing it. So we're all going. <laughs> I love Welcome it. in advance. Yes. Yes. You're welcome. So speaking of all this positive energy that we're now putting out into the world, I want to talk a little bit about your advocacy work um, because I was reading about Tubas for Good and all the things that you were doing in the Philadelphia schools. So can we talk a little bit about what kind of inspired you to start Tubas for Good, what you do with a nonprofit and uh, like what kind of mission do you have um, with this? I mean, I obviously know because I read it, but not everybody knows. <laughs> oh, I do not think I could recite our mission offhand. Um, <laughs> it's it's okay. been a while. But um, yeah, so Tubas for Good, um, you know, the concept grew out of conversations with friends of mine who are teaching in the schools in the area. And uh, I found out that there weren't tubas in a lot of schools, despite there being brass programs and like how do you have a brass program with no tubas that's stupid um so Mm -hmm. let's fix that um but it wasn't until a few years later I got some inheritance money from my grandparents um and I've had the good fortune like I've been like racked with some privilege along the way right like my dad's a doctor so I never had to take you know student loans and uh, and I got this amazing job at 21 like like, yeah it pays really well so like I didn't need inheritance money. So like I use, I wanted to put that to a good cause. So I started the seed fund for this nonprofit. So it's kind of like our endowment air quotes, uh, because it's very small (laughs) compared to the orchestra endowment. Um, Anyway, um, so yeah, we're, we're kind of like starting slowly it's we're about three years in now although like covid stuff just kind of put a real pause on everything covid just destroyed everything it's fine yeah (laughs) 
I'm hopeful that like in the fall we'll be able to like actually start back up with stuff again. Um, yeah. But like especially, you know, last year we bought a bunch of plastic euphoniums, um, that, which have been a real hit with the young kids because like, um, but, you know, this is all like it's an ongoing conversation with like with the teachers in the school district, like, how are you doing? What do you need? What would help people be more interested in playing? So I'm hoping that like, eventually over time, like we're building uh, like resources as well as like an instrument library. So we've got right now, um, like three high quality Yamaha tubas and high quality Yamaha euphoniums. And then we've got this batch of like 21 plastic euphoniums um, mm -hmm. for like the younger kids. So like, it's kind of like the elite high school players playing the nice horns and then like the, the beginners, I'm hoping to get like a big crop of tuba players in five years or so from, you know, these kids who are starting. But like, yeah, the, the these teachers were telling me like, it worked really well with uh, trumpet and trombone to have the plastic instruments because um, you know they're super light to carry around they're virtually indestructible they sound fine but they're like fun colors and like they just like it's good enough to like get the kids interested and you can get them hooked and then like if they like then you know you get find a real horn for them but um mm -hmm. but that's what we've found is that like the i mean they're pretty fun you can carry like 10 of them at a time <laughs> And yeah, we're uh, hoping to like create more tuba players out of that. Um, yeah, because like there, there just aren't, you know, the more that I learn about the Philadelphia school district, and I know a lot of other city school districts are this way. I mean, there's like basically no music program. And I was just appalled at that prospect of like, like when you think about like all the equity conversations we're having about like the music industry and why there, there aren't more like people of color in major orchestras, like the places where the minority populations are most dense have like no music problems. Like, of course yep. those numbers are lower, right? That like, like this is where things start. So like, why are we surprised, you know? Um, yeah, I mean, we can talk about blind auditions all we want to a point, right? And and obviously that's been a major benefit, right? Not disagreeing with I any of that. Wouldn't have a right? job. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> wouldn't have a job. Um, but it's not just that. I think the major issues, the major issues that we're seeing with lack of representation at the professional level is because of the K-12 level. That's where it starts. Like what came first, the chicken or the egg? Well, in this situation, it's the egg. Right. So I completely agree with you in that. I, I teach in a title one school district where my kids don't have money. I teach in one of the largest. It's technically suburban district in New York State, but it is very divided in equity. The south edge, the south part of the town is basically the city of Rochester. The north part of the town is a lot more wealthy kids. I teach in one of the southern school uh, schools um, and it's a 612 building. A lot of kids. These kids have no money. They can't afford instruments. I'm often providing instruments for them and it's whatever I got at that point, right? And so yeah. we are we do struggle with getting more instruments. I actually am in like a kind of weird situation in that I have way too many tubas. <laughs> that's that's not a, a problem that exists. <laughs> like half I, of them I don't understand don't the sentence work. you just said. 
half of them probably don't function <laughs> but too many I, trumpets many. like that that's a sentence that makes sense to me i have too many trumpet <laughs> players i don't have <laughs> enough trumpets to physically give them because my my uh my some of my elementary counterparts just keep giving me a bunch of like the same instrument over and over again that's a completely different story like finish the loop with like the idea with tubas for good is to just sort of like learn more about the Philadelphia School District and supplement however I can, whether it's my expertise as a tuba player myself, where like I coach our um, all city tuba quartet um, and or, or if it's just like supplying instruments or like helping the teachers get organized, like whatever it is. And we're just sort of like slowly chipping away and like creating more instruments. And like, I know it's not Perfect. Ideally, like, you know, the government would say, like, arts education is required for all schools everywhere. And then, like, ideally, <laughs> this wouldn't be a problem. Yeah. But for now, since, like, this school district is so piecemeal, it's like, let's let's partner with whoever we can make sure, like, anyone who wants an instrument gets an instrument. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's amazing. And, I, and I'm so happy that you have a partnership like that. I don't think it's super common in other places. You know, I, I never really heard of, I mean, obviously certain cities do have, you know, programs where professional orchestra or whatever in the city is very involved in the local school districts, but to actively be like, what do you need? How can I help you? is <laughs> so great. I wish somebody came to me and was like, hey, we have X amount of dollars. What do you need? Oh my gosh. I think I would cry. <laughs> that would be so um, great. I should plug right now, um, one of the things that did get accomplished during COVID was that um, I like uh, my friend Stefan Hopman helped me redesign my website, but he also built this store component to my website that I've been dreaming of for a really long time. So store.caroleonch.com sells all of my like some some of my public domain arrangements um because fees um <laughs> and and my recordings right both my solo recordings and the tubular recording mm -hmm. um, and if you buy anything there all of the proceeds go directly to tubas for good awesome that's so great yeah everybody should definitely check that out also you mentioned tubular and i'd like to talk about that as well yes. So you are in a tuba cover band and you're also the chief arranger. So can you talk a little bit about Tubular and how that group came to be? Yeah, it's super fun. It's like, yeah, Tubas for Good and Tubular are like my main pet projects. Um, tubular started, I was asked to do a recital with the Philadelphia Chamber Music Society and I was like, I could be boring and go brass quintet, but like, I think Philadelphia needs to hear like what a tuba quartet is. And so we went for it. Um, and afterwards I was like, Hey, do you guys like want to be a band? And it was like my buddies from college, uh, from Michigan at the time we're all in military bands on the East coast. So we were mm -hmm. between like DC and Philly. Um, and like, they were all like, yeah. And, uh, and my buddy Scott was like, I know this guy who can play drums. He's in my band. And like, we have this insanely good drummer who plays with us, uh, which is hilarious because we're a tuba band. Um, but mostly just like buddies from college kind of deal, yeah. um, like goofing around and like playing music for people. So, um, yeah, it really like, 
you know, got my feet wet as an arranger. Like I had arranged a few things, but like from the sheer amount of arranging I was doing, um, I, f I feel like it really helped me think in a different way as a musician, right? That like you, you get better at like big picture listening that way where you're like, um, like, okay, so I want to do this like queen tune for for tuba quartet and drums and like sick what is this wh what is the essence of uh, don't stop me now that needs to come across like how do it like and how do i convert that to this over here like get that um, energy in tuba yeah as much as i can so then you're like solving this puzzle with like okay i only have like four horns at any one good time and like, if, if, we're, if we're doing vocals then like five because andy can do vocals we did our first like I just did a recital and we did um, Don't Stop Me Now. And it was a first foray into four part harmony and it was pretty fun <laughs> singing, singing. Um, so like we added vocals along the way because we realized um, after a few gigs, we we're like, oh, we can't just beat our faces to bloody pulps by just like playing solely instrumentals the whole time. Yeah. So the vocals really just give us a rest from playing our instruments. Mm -hmm. But So like we pride ourselves on our really good tuba playing and mediocre vocals. Um, <laughs> yes, yeah, it's, it's just, it's really just pure fun. And for me, like really cathartic to have a, a, like a different way to express myself and a different way to connect with audiences where like the pressure isn't so damn high all the time. <laughs> yeah. And like a lot from myself as well as, you know, like just the expectations on stage with the Philadelphia Orchestra is like everything should be pristine and perfect. Mm -hmm. And like I can go to a bar and play a show and miss a whole bunch of notes and it's like it'll be still still be hilarious and fun. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's That's awesome. Fun. Yeah, and I I found this a lot just talking to professional orchestra musicians or working with them and just like talking to them about their life, like whether it's for this or just casually. And a lot of them have other projects outside of their, my full-time orchestra job. A lot of them play in chamber groups. A lot of them do like popular music. A lot of them gig in a jazz setting or a pop sort of setting, or, you know, they do this thing or that thing. And honestly, I think that's so healthy because it's allowing you to also just be more creative in that. Like not only are you playing, but you're also arranging your own music. So you're really just using those creative juices that maybe you used a lot more when you were at the university level or something like that. Like, hey, like I'm going to use the skills that I learned from these classes also, and I'm gonna arrange all this stuff, you know? Um, yeah. I think that's so no, great I, and it's so healthy. <laughs> for sure. And like, I couldn't agree more. I, I, I feel really strongly that it's not your job's job to fulfill you. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and that kind of circles back to what we were talking about before about like that expectation that is ingrained in us from school that like, once you get like a good enough job, it will make you happy. Like that is not true whatsoever. Like, um, but uh, you know, so for me, like all my side projects, I'm looking for ways to scratch the itches that my, day job doesn't right yeah. so like 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 you said like having that outlet to like just be creative in a way and like and sometimes you know you reach a certain level and you feel like everybody expects you to do everything perfectly all the time 
like and and that's not healthy at all so like having this thing where like yeah i'm, I'm gonna miss notes all over the place because my face is like falling off by the end of our shows so like and then we're just gonna sing goofy stuff like it just preserves who i am as a person um and, and musician as well as like just being really fun yeah um which it's is really important to have that rather than just like get bogged down and just like pressure 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 because like that that kind of thing it can be a negative spiral once you're like okay so like everything has to be perfect and if i'm not perfect i'm not worthwhile as a human being yeah yeah that's so true speaking of finding healthy outlets and that sort of thing my final question for you is there a piece of advice that either someone's given you or that you have discovered on your own that has helped you either as a human or in your career professionally being who you are? One that I spoke to recently, and this is from the recital I just did a couple days ago. Um, my fr other friend from college, who's not in tubular, uh, Mike Nickens, he, he just, uh, he was like, uh, the doctoral student when I was a, an undergrad. So he was kind of like, you know, kind of role model as well as studio mate. And like, mm -hmm. he, he just had this, like, if you can dream it, you can do it kind of attitude. Um, and I, I love that so much. And like, that's been really influential. And like, and I think like what I'd say to people out there, like, uh, especially the way that our industry is going that like, it, you know, it's so different from like when I was in school 20 years ago, like this stuff, the stuff that exists now, like that the fact you can get like free audio editing software and like, and really inexpensive mics that are pretty good. Like hmm. you can really create some stuff of like good quality without all that much like investment financially and like, Anyway, like, I just think that, yeah, like if, if you have an idea you think is cool that you should go for it. And like, if it works out great. And if not, then like you learn something about yourself and maybe you keep tweaking the idea. And like tubular is really different than it was when we first started. Mm -hmm. um, it's because we had to play a few like gigs where we were pretty awkward <laughs> and then like, figure out how we like get our pacing down and how we play a good show like and 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 you're never too old for that you're never too um established for that um because it can be hard to be like yeah i'm known for like being good at this one thing but what if i like try this other thing that's kind of a little bit to the left you know yeah um, yeah so like i guess like it's more of just advocating for like keeping your creative muscles healthy. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. Carol, I want to thank you so much for sharing your experiences and your thoughts and telling everybody to go to therapy because I think <laughs> everybody needs to be told that every once in a while. So I want to thank you so much for giving us your time and for sharing bits and pieces of your life. My pleasure. Is it cool if I, I plug my own podcast real quick? Yes. Yes, go ahead. Because I think by the by the time this is out, like my podcast should be almost launched. Yeah. Um this 
it always takes longer than you think. But yes. um, I did an interview series on Facebook Live uh, last summer and fall. Um, and we're converting that into a podcast. Um, and it's going to be launching soon. It's it's uh it's a series of interviews that feature young brass musicians from underrepresented demographics um and the point is to just sort of share their stories promote their projects and increase visibility that way um and so we're launching we have the first season is is all the interviews that i already did um and then the second season will be even more interesting so i uh, hope you all will tune into that it's called the rising stars podcast Awesome. I love that. So everybody be sure to check that out. Um, it should be great. Yeah. I'm so excited to check that out. I, I saw the Facebook live stuff, but I'm excited to, to check out the podcast as well. So that's awesome. Thanks. Thanks so much for having me, Cassidy. It's a pleasure Yay. to talk to you.